You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Thank you uh, for joining us today. You are brave people, and uh, appreciate you being here. I'm John Bruce. If this is the first time you've been here, we would like to give you a gift of appreciation. We have a a sippy cup, a water bottle, or a coffee tumbler. And if this is your first time, we'd like to give that to you. You can receive that out at the uh, uh, information desk right outside this door. If any of you have prayer requests or questions about our church, there's a card in the seat back in front of you. If you will fill that out and drop it over in the offering spot, we'll either pray for you or we'll get that information to you. You know, when uh, Lori and I were visiting our son when he was in college once, uh, he asked me if I wanted to join him in the weekly guys Bible study he went to. And I'm so glad I did because I think it changed forever the way I look at the Bible. We went to a small, modest house close to campus there, and I met Roy. Roy is a a single guy in his 50s who worked by day as a salesman for a piping company, and by night changed young men's lives. And we found a whole crowd of high school and college guys there laughing and, and talking and insulting each other and just doing the kind of stuff that guys who really enjoy being together do. So we all line up uh, in Roy's tiny little kitchen, and we fill up paper plates with steak and potatoes and bread. No space wasted on veggies or, or salad. I mean, Roy knows his audience. And uh, after dinner, uh, the guys all grabbed their Bibles and uh, plopped down on Roy's ratty old couch or brought in chairs from the kitchen or sit on the floor. This is the part I came for because I had been doing Bible studies with guys for years, and I wanted to see what Roy would do. Would he lecture? Would he have prepared questions or some kind of a, a published curriculum he worked for? All, all Roy did was say, okay, I think we're in 1 Corinthians tonight. Who wants to read? And that was the last thing Roy said. And one guy starts reading, and then another guy reads, and another guy reads, and we all eventually read some of 1 Corinthians, and all during the reading, guys are interjecting questions or comments that we all would discuss, and boy, the hour went by so fast, and our, our souls were as full as our stomachs. And I'd just never seen just the naked power of the scriptures like that, that we had really met with God as we simply talked about the Bible. Roy later showed me a bulletin board in his kitchen. It had many, many pictures of young men who had all become Christians through this Bible study and were now serving Christ all over the world. And I think I left there with just a new appreciation for the incredible power of the word. It is the word which performs its work in us who believe, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2. And that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. Last week, we began a new series called Reset, uh, Solid Ground for Uncertain Times, because we are living in 
uncertain times. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, boy, our nation, the world has changed so much in the last two years. It feels like the, the ground under our feet has gotten a little unsteady. And a lot of people are fearful, anxious, and pessimistic. And it, it's nothing unusual that the church hasn't gone through before. We have been in uncertain times all of our history. The church has, has watched empires collapse and governments fold and plagues and famines uh, come through and cultures change. And whenever the times have been uncertain have been the times that have driven us back to the things that we are certain of. Uh, the purpose and plan of God uh, as made known through Jesus Christ. So for this month, we are going back to the basics. We're going back to the, the foundation of our church, of what we're based on. Last week, we went to the, the, the big foundation, which is the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done to reconcile us to God, that Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves and has given us eternal life uh, to all who believe in him. As Jeff said last week, we don't start with the gospel and then graduate on to other things. But we believe the gospel, and then we grow by believing the gospel, and we continue to believe the gospel. As Paul says in, in Galatians, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who, who gave, loved me and gave himself up for me. So really, growing as a Christian, just getting to know the gospel better and better and believing it and acting in light of it. So the question I want you to think about this morning, how do you know if you really believe the gospel? Look what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. How can a Christian know she really believes the gospel? Paul says that if I really believe that Christ loves me to the extent that the gospel reveals, I will live for Christ rather than for myself. I, I grew up in the church. I went to Sunday school throughout my childhood and adolescence. I won most of the Bible memory contests. Um, I was in church every Sunday growing up. I wasn't a Christian because I didn't want to follow Jesus because I knew Jesus' plan for my life would not include a lot of the things I wanted to do. And as soon as I left home for college, I stopped going to church, stopped pretending to be a Christian, and pretty much lived for my own pleasures for the next two years. And the surprising thing to me was that even though I was doing everything I wanted to do, whenever I wanted to do, I was still unhappy. I was just as hollow as I was before I left for college. And so when Christians talk to me about how much Christ loved me, and the fact that he had left heaven to become a human being and endure our suffering, endure our temptations, and, and go to the cross for our sins, I figured if he loved me that much, then maybe I could trust him with my life. And so one night I just prayed in bed. I said, Jesus, if you're there, 
come into my life and make me the man you want me to be. And that was the most significant decision I ever made. My life was completely different from then on. And I found that when I followed Christ, I was happy. No matter what my circumstances were. When I didn't follow Christ, my life became just as hollow and empty. So what Paul is saying is if you really believe the gospel, if you really believe how much Christ loves you, you will live for Christ. What the Bible calls you will become Christ's disciple, his follower, his apprentice. And that's because, that's why, because we believe the gospel as a church, we are committed to not only being, but making more disciples for Christ. That raises another question. How do I know if I'm following Jesus and not just an imaginary friend I call Jesus? And that's what I want to talk about uh, this morning. Uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus gives us three habits you can identify his true disciples by. And one of those habits is found in John 8, 31 and 32. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Today I want to talk about two things. One, the proof that we're his disciples. If you continue in my word, you're truly my disciples. And second, the profit of being his disciple, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we're just going to talk about why the Bible is foundational to everything we do here at Creekside. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for the word that performs its work in us who believe. Thank you that you are our teacher and instructor. Pray that you will be our uh, lead us into truth today. And give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at the proof that we're his disciple. And you need to get the context to understand what's happening here. Verse 31 begins this way. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you're truly disciples of mine. Now, when you first read this, you think he must be talking to disciples, right? He's talking to people who believe in him. Well, they believe in him but they don't believe everything about him. Because as we go on in this chapter, we find Jesus says, I will set you free from sin. But they're not interested in that. They believe he can do miracles. They believe he may be the Messiah. But what they want is they want him to set them free from Rome. So they're really not believers in the true sense. They believe, but they don't really believe. So Jesus is saying, how do do you know if you're really one of my disciples, if you continue in my word, you're truly my disciples? So this is a great passage for Americans, isn't it? Because there's a lot more people in America who think they're Christians than really are Christians. There's a, there's a lot more people who think they're disciples of Jesus, but are really following an imaginary friend they call Jesus and just do what they want to do, than those who really follow Christ. Jesus says, the proof that you're truly a disciple of mine is that you will continue in my word. Now, that word continue is translated 
Other places in John, abide, be at home, dwell, are constantly practiced. So what Jesus is saying is you can't have a relationship with me apart from having a relationship with my word. You can't be my disciple unless you're a disciple of my word. You know, I think Jesus could reveal himself to us in dreams, our visions, our through angels, or he could speak audibly. But why should he when he's already revealed everything we need to know in the scriptures? That's the way Jesus speaks to us. And that's why I found that when I am consistent, when I am living in the scriptures, the presence of Christ is very real to me. I have a real sense of him speaking to me and moving in me. When I neglect the Bible, he seems very distant. And I wondered why that was, and so I went through the scriptures. And what I discovered is that everything the scripture says the Spirit of God does in my life, it says the Word of God does in my life. Let me show you what I mean. The scripture says we are born again of the Spirit in John 3. But then in 1 Peter 1, it says we're born again of the Word. In Titus 3, we're cleansed by the Spirit. But in Ephesians 5, we're cleansed by the Word. We're filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. We're filled with the Word in Colossians 3.16. We're sanctified or set free from sin by the Spirit, according to uh, 1 Peter 1.2. And yet Jesus says that we're sanctified by the Word in John 17.17. 17. Begin to get the idea here, set free by the Spirit, we're set free by the Word. We're made adequate to be God's servants by the Spirit in 2 Corinthians 3, but 1 Timothy, or is it 1st, or 2 Timothy 3 says we're made adequate to be God's servants by the Word. God works in us by His Spirit, according to Philippians, but the Word does God's work for us, according to 1 Thessalonians. We get victory over the devil through the Spirit, but we also get victory over the devil through the Word. God comforts us by His Spirit, but God comforts us by His Word. His Spirit reveals our hearts to us, shows us what, who we really are, what we're really thinking, but the Word of God reveals our hearts and shows us who we really are. We get victory over the sin that lives in our flesh by the Spirit. But we get that victory through the Word. You begin to see the point. That's why Jesus says, the words I speak to you, these are spirit and life. Paul says, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. God uses His Word to work in our lives. So if I divorce myself from the Word, I've essentially divorced myself from Christ. Look what John says, 1 John. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. How do I know that I know Jesus? This is an easy question. How do I know that if I know Jesus? I keep his commandments. That means I have to know his commandments, right? 
I can't know Christ without knowing his commandments, without knowing his word. The one who says, I've come to know him and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the word of God has truly been perfected. By this we know we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. How do I know I'm keeping his commandments? I live the way he lived. Now think about that. How did Jesus live? Jesus is the most biblically-centered person in the Bible. Nobody quotes the Bible as often as Jesus does. When Jesus is tempted, he says, it is written, and gives the appropriate verse to answer that temptation. When Jesus argues with his opponents, he takes them back to the Scripture and what the Scriptures really teach. Uh, he says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He can accept when things go south in his life by saying, don't worry, it's written that it must happen this way. Nobody quotes the Bible more than Jesus does. Therefore, if I'm to walk as he walked, that means I need to be as biblically centered as he is. Does that make sense? If you continue in my word, if you live in my word, if you dwell in my word, you are really my disciple. That's the idea. If I separate myself from the word, I've essentially separated myself from Christ. That's why we make a big deal out of Bible literacy here at Creekside, because we believe the Bible is the way Christ works in our lives, the way Christ reveals himself to us. What's it mean to continue his word? Well, I, let me give you just some real simple things. It means to be consistent in his word. I believe you will get more out of spending 10 minutes a day reading the Bible if you do it every day. Then you will get out of spending two hours in the Bible once and then not looking at it for a couple of weeks. It's just like exercise. It's what you do continually that, change, that changes you. It also means reading the Bible carefully, as James says, gazing intently at the perfect law. I get a lot more out of slowly reading a short section of Scripture and thinking about it than to get out of skimming over a whole bunch. So it's being consistent, being careful, and find doing what it says. James says, but he who looks intently at the perfect law and abides by it continues in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in all that he does. If you don't have a plan for Bible reading and Bible study, I'm going to give you one today, okay? And if you have one, you can just ignore this. But a lot of people have found a, a website, an app called the Bible Recap, very helpful. Do we have that there? Yeah. And I think I put the, the information in your notes. Bible Recap takes you through the whole Bible chronologically in one year. And it'll say January 1st. Don't worry about it. You can start January 9th. You'll just end up on January 9th next year. But it takes you through the whole Bible in little bite-sized pieces. And then there is a podcast, or you can, well, I watch it on YouTube myself, where Tara Lee Cobble will go over what we just read 
and say, give us some insights, answer some common questions that come up for this. And the best part is she gives you a God shot. She says, here is one thing you can learn about God from this passage. And, and if you just do that, you'll be amazed after a year of not only how familiar with the Bible you have become, but how much you, this, how precious this habit has become to you because God will be at work in you. So that's, a lot of people have done this. I just recommend it to you. If, if you're just getting started in reading the Bible, three chapters or so, her little podcast is eight minutes long or so. It's, it, this is doable. It's doable. And so I uh, encourage you to do that. The proof that I am a disciple of Jesus is that I live in the Scriptures because I cannot know Jesus apart from the Scriptures. That's how he reveals himself to me. And that brings us to the next thing, the prophet of being his disciple. Why go to all the trouble to read and study and apply this ancient and often uncomfortable book? Let's look at the rest of this passage. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. What's Jesus mean by that? Well, that's what the people who heard him ask, and let's see what he says. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? It's kind of a joke because they have been enslaved for the last 500 years. It's been, it's been centuries since Israel actually ruled itself. They've been under the thumb of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. And yet they, with straight faces, can say, we've never been slaves to anyone. What are you talking? You will become free. But Jesus is not talking about political freedom. He's talking about a much more important kind of freedom. Truly, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Anybody here commits sin? All hands are raised, that's right. Now, that's not news, is it? We all know that. But why do you commit sin? Jesus says if you commit sin, it's because you are sin's slaves. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We're slaves. And all of us do things we regret. All, thing, all of us do things we feel bad about, our conscience plagues us about it, and yet we keep on doing them, don't we? And we just can't seem to change. Jesus said, I came to set sinners free, and here's why. The slave does not remain in the house forever, so if the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. The house he's talking about is the household of God, the family of God. Jesus didn't come, a human being, live the life we failed to live so that we could receive his righteousness, die the death that we deserve to die just to forgive our sins. 
He didn't come just to clean up the cobwebs. He came to kill the spider. He came to make you and me children of God who are free from sin. And according to Romans 6, when Christ comes into your life, instantly the old you, the slave of sin, dies. And a new you, a child of God, free, is born again. Within about a, oh, less than a month of, of asking Christ to come into my life, I could see that something profound had happened inside of me. Things that used to be natural now felt unnatural. And things that used to feel unnatural began to feel natural. The pleasures I thought I could not live without had become distasteful to me. And things like reading the Bible and praying and being with these other crazy people called Christians became the thing I wanted to do. This wasn't something I was trying to accomplish. It just happened. And I could see that, that I had been born again. And just as, as a baby has to learn to walk, and talk, and use a spoon, and not need a diaper, and share her toys, and clean up her room, and read, and add, and subtract, and get her homework done, and get along with her friends, and all the thousands of lessons we have to learn as we go from infancy to adulthood. So as Christians, because we still live in the same old sinful bodies, even though we're new people inside, we have to learn how to use the power we received the instant Christ came in to put to death the sins that we have been addicted to and become like him and live a free life. So how do we do that? You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Sin's power is the power of deception the lusts of deceit. We have all grown up believing lies that give sin its power in our lives. I was always afraid of what people thought about me. Always worried whether people liked me or accepted me. I, I, I would just obsess over every slight or insult our rejection. I was so concerned for people's approval. Why? Because somewhere along the line, I began to believe a lie that I cannot be happy unless most people like me. Satan is the father of lies. And he has been feeding us lies all of our lives. And until I replace the lie with the truth, I can never be free of the sin that lie produces. Does that make sense? That's why the truth will make you free. That's why you read the Bible. You don't just read it because it's a religious duty. You read it so you can find out how life really works, what's really true. You know what released me from my slavery to the approval of men? It was Luke chapter 12. Look what Jesus says. I say to you, my friends, this is Jesus talking, 
I say to you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have no more than they can do. I will tell you who to fear. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? And yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear then, for you are more valuable than many sparrows. And as I understood that and believed that, I began to realize Jesus is not saying, be afraid of God because he'll send you to hell. He's saying God is so much bigger and so much more powerful than any person you might be afraid of. And what God thinks about you has far more to do with your ultimate happiness than what people think about you. And he loves you. He cares. He notices everything about you. He's more aware of you than you are. So why worry about people? They can't do anything to you. And when I realized that, I just found that concern for what people think about me evaporating. And, and that's the way the Word of God works. You learn the truth. It replaces the lies you believe, and you begin to experience more and more of the freedom from sin and the blessing and the happiness that comes along. The profit of being Christ's disciple and a disciple of his word is that it frees you from the things that are making you absolutely miserable. When I was, uh, just before I became a Christian, I, I was working with a guy and he told me a joke. It's a stupid joke. But it had a profound impact on my life. He says, two guys are working, and they get together for lunch every day, and they open up their brown bags, and one guy every day says the same thing. Oh, no. Peanut butter sandwiches again. And this happens every single day at lunch. Oh, no. Peanut butter sandwiches again. And so finally, his friend says, if you don't like peanut butter sandwiches, why don't you have your wife make you something else? He says, oh, my wife doesn't make these. I do. Now, it's a dumb joke, but it, it hit me because I realized that everything that was making me unhappy was created by myself. It was my selfishness, my fear, my weakness, my, my addiction to my pleasures, all these things. And I thought, if Jesus can free me from those things, I would be a fool not to take advantage of those things. Does that make sense? That's why I became a Christian. I, I, didn't, I didn't really even realize the forgiveness side of the thing at the time. I just wanted to be a different person. And I find that Christ will free you from the things that addict you, that enslave you, that make you hate yourself. If you'll go to his word and let his word transform your life and replace the lies that give those, those sins power over your life with the truth. You'll know the truth that make you free. Let me say one more thing, and then we're then we'll move on. The Word of God will free you. The Word of God will also isolate you. Look what Jesus says as he prays for us. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The more I believe the scriptures, the more out of step I will be with my culture. Because the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. 
Jesus was hated because he refused to dance to the tune of his culture and chose instead to fear the word of God. And the same thing will happen to you. The more you become a disciple of the word of God, the more people are going to call you superstitious, unscientific, bigoted, and worse. And yet the best thing you can do for those people is to show them by the way you live and the way you speak the profit of sinking your roots deeply into the truth of the scriptures that don't change. In 1942, Albert Einstein was teaching physics at the University of Oxford. And one day he gave his senior class uh, a test and uh, afterwards, he was walking across campus with his assistant. And his assistant said, Dr. Einstein, do you realize that you just gave that class the same test you gave them a year ago? And Einstein said, I do. But Dr. Einstein, they already know the answers. And Einstein said, no, the answers have changed. You see, Einstein knew that the knowledge of physics was growing so quickly that what people had thought was true at one point, they discovered was false at the next point. What was true in 1942 is true in 2022. That truth is always changing. We are learning more and more and more. And so what was acceptable a decade ago is now considered, what idiot would believe that now? And things that were considered unacceptable a decade ago, well, if you don't believe in those things and support those things, you're going to get kicked off the island. So you can spend your life pursuing the culture and trying to be right and trying to believe what everybody else believes and go crazy. Or you can sink your roots deeply into the word that does not change. The word that is true, the word that will give you life. And that's what we do at Creekside. That's why what we care about is what does the Bible teach? And our goal is to make you Bible literate. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the great gift of your word and the gift of your spirit that we might know your word and I pray for everyone here today that those who see us will be glad because we wait for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.